it's Carl. Normally, Lynn would be talking here, but I'm not here this week, but I am still producing the episode. It is Jim Tudor as our special guest today, president of the St. Louis Film Critics Association, and he's also with Zeke Film. They're going to start talking about the upcoming Fan Expo this weekend at America Center. Then they're going to talk about the film's Firestarter, then Men, Happening, Operation Mincemeat, and then the documentary Cheryl. Talk to you guys in a couple of weeks. Here's Lynn. Welcome, welcome. We start off today knowing that the Blues are headed to the second round, so let's go Blues. My colleague, Carl the Intern Middleman, who plays the music, ended the victory with the Beach Boys' fun, fun, fun last night, and to connect the dots, that was the song that they played when the Minnesota Wild at the Minnesota Wild when the Blues won for the Winter Classic. So that's Carl's musical mind. Yeah, he's a steel trap of musical uh, connections. Oh yeah, he's a font, and I always say he's the encyclopedia. Well, Carl's exactly. not here today because. He has Maggie's graduation and baccalaureate and family coming in and all these kind of things that happen when you have a senior in high school about to embark on a wonderful collegial career, college career up at DePaul. She's going to major in animation, Jim Tudor. And that Hi. which leads me into my guest host this week is Jim Tudor. Hey, Jim. Hello. It's great Thank to you. be back here on the big podcast, Lynn. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And Jim is our fearless leader of the St. Louis Film Critics Organization and also a professor at Webster. And you know your way around a uh, film class or two, but also uh, we uh, I don't know what happened with our guests, but we'll just leave that for another time. But you sure. also worked in at a comic book store for 20 years yeah i did i started when i was 15 years old at comic headquarters uh back when steve cook owned it uh the late uh wonderful steve cook who uh started that store in 1988 um gave me my first job and it was so good and so nice and so laid back and so cushy i could never quit it um i just you know as i got older i just you know had to you know my life was happening around around this um and he was always very accommodating and let me come in and pick up shifts here and there just because i like to um i would work for trade i would um you know i just enjoyed being in the store and being with the comics and seeing the customers uh and chatting with people and uh you know finally as i well into my married life i you know um well, the thing that really did it was Steve passed away uh, a few years back and abruptly, and uh, that ended that. Um, I gave some effort to trying to maybe perhaps uh, take over the store, but that wasn't meant to be. So, uh, and and in retrospect, that's a good thing that didn't happen. But um, you know, it's uh, it is what it is uh, in terms of uh, my own life. But I my 20 years working in and out of the comic shop, it gave such perspective uh, to that side of the business and, and uh, you know, the passion of, of comic book fans. Yes. Which I've, I've grown to know more about appreciation talking with you and Max Boise and Carl Middleman 
and we have this plethora of Marvel in DC. I was always a Batman uh, person from the mid 60s on, and I actually bought comic books during that phase. But yeah. so, and, and we did it the local uh, confectionery when I was a kid, Archie <laughs> and, and little Richie Rich and all those comics back then, because that's what you did as a 60s kid. Absolutely. But yeah, I like to see that. Well, the reason I bring this up is because this weekend is Fan Expo and it's formerly Wizard World and yeah. it hasn't been back to the America Center since the before times. Mm-hmm. And they are expecting a huge crowd this weekend. Apparently, St. Louis is a good market for them. Yeah. And uh, not just the big star names that that uh, are the attractions like William Shatner, but also they have many, many side things with animators with comic book artists, illustrators, and they have all sorts of panels. And so if you are a fan of that genre, you can find anything that will entertain you, not just the stars. Like they have the trio from Smallville uh, that uh, they have Tom Welling and Kristen Cook, Crook, who yeah. played Lois, and then... Uh, who played Lex Luthor? Is it Michael Rosenbaum? Yeah, that's right. All three of them are going to be there. Uh, Kevin Smith and Jason Muse. Yeah, all those clerks guys. And the clerks reunion. And uh, they're going to have uh, all sorts of uh, people to entertain. And uh, we will um, check in on that later. But. Um, we have some we I didn't think we were going to have any movies to talk about this week because it's one of those they gave it to Dr. Strange last week. Yeah. The world's waiting for Top Gun Maverick on Memorial Day and they're just kind of throwing us crumbs. Have you so, seen this Top Gun Maverick yet by the way? No, I have not. Okay. Okay, I was wondering if maybe I missed it as a critic, you know, but uh No, it's uh, uh, our our screening is going to be Monday, May 23rd. Okay. All right. See, not that I care too much. I was never a fan of the original Top Gun back in the day when I was in, oh, I don't know. I was a kid when that came out, but I was an older kid. So, and and also being a comic book fan as a kid, before I ever worked in the store, I was, you know, I was a nerd and, and boy, there was nothing cooler than Tom Cruise and Top Gun sitting there, you know, looking all cool with his, you know, playing it. It's like, you know, that's just the other that that's a completely other dynamic to me and and it it was just like you know i i didn't relate to it at all when i saw that movie no so, i remember it being the vehicle that introduced me to meg ryan okay as goose's wife sure because i think that cemented her uh as a as a you know major movie star before she started all the rom-coms yes. sure and then that soundtrack was such a big deal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, but I really, I'm not the biggest Tom Cruise fan. And mm-hmm. so I didn't go out of my way, but it has become part of pop culture sure. to such a certain extent. And when I watched the documentary on Val Kilmer, which I thoroughly enjoyed, that gave me new insight to it. So I think it's interesting that it's coming out, 
the first movie was 1986. Uh-huh. And they're coming out with a sequel now. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like Tron and Tron Legacy with 29 years between them. And, you know, it's like, it, it's not a reboot. It's a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that uh, they're going to have Goose's son played by Miles Teller. Hmm. I, I think that might add a different dynamic, the young folk. And then I do think Val Kilmer, despite all his health woes, is making an appearance as Ice, the Iceman. Right. He said, did you watch that documentary? Yeah, I, I watched that. I don't think I was uh, as big a fan of it as you were, although I, I thought it was well done. I, it was good. Yeah, well, to me, what was so impressive was his massive collection of archival film. That was and his behind the scenes jazz and uh he said he did that throwaway line that now he has uh every airport that he's ever been in he gets called iceman by all the pilots (laughs) of course yeah so yeah yeah but you know this is one of this is the big memorial day opening and this is like trying to get back to uh restore all the blockbuster summer big buzz because remember a year ago was when we went back to the theaters for mm. A Quiet Place Part 2. Well, for me, it was the Fast and Furious 9. Uh, that was my big return to the theater a year ago. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's been sporadic in the meantime for me, because, you know, I, we, I, at our house, we play it safe with these COVID flare-ups. I'm, I'm the only one wearing a mask at these screenings anymore, but that's okay. Oh, well, um, Alex wears them, Alex McPherson. Yeah. And uh, he has parents, he has a dad that is immune compromised. And so he's very vigilant about it. But if we get screening links, it's the better for people who, uh, and right now we are having a COVID outbreak among people and so locally. And so you do want to be more cautious. I'll do whatever the policy is. Hmm. They tell me to wear a mask. I wear a mask. If they don't, I'm not. So well, if it's I, mask optional, then. Right. So, but is. if, but if I'm right. around <laughs> and you don't notice with, with uh, people not wearing masks, now there's more colds, there's more flu, there's yes, more there are. germs going around. Of course there are. And you have young people. I don't know about you, but the first year I taught, I was so sick from all the new germs. I know. Yeah. No, my, my uh, two, uh, you know, my, we have four kids and they go to three different schools. And one of the schools uh, last night had sent out an email saying, okay, uh, masks are back mandatory. I mean, not, you know, they're, they're back on first, you know, you have to wear them till, uh, uh, you know, for the next couple of weeks. So uh because uh, we've had some cases and some outbreaks and some this and some that. And unfortunately, you know, back in. Yeah, well, it's the weight of the world. It's not over. And no. uh, that's, you know, what it is. So the the films that I watched this week, I have see sent out happening. And do you know about this movie? Happening. Yes. Um, I've heard of it. Uh, maybe uh, you can uh, jive my memory of what this is. Okay, this is a French film that won the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival last November. It is a festival sensation. It was nominated for several CISA awards, which is the French equivalent to the Oscars. Yeah. It was nominated, the, the director, Audrey Dewan, was nominated for a BAFTA. 
Uh, she, this is only her second film. This couldn't be more timely because it's on the subject of abortion. Oh my goodness. Which is a lightning political rod, but I am not going to debate pro-life or pro-choice. And this movie is specifically a character study about a girl in college in 1963 when abortion was illegal. And she's desperate and she does the back alley abortion thing but she comes to that decision not lightly and it takes a while and uh this is based on the semi-autobiographical novel by annie erno called happening and so the filmmaker who was one of the three co-writers and, and direct she took this story and set it in 1963 and at first you think it's contemporary but then you notice the music and the dancing and and the way the girls are in the dorm and so abortion was illegal in France at the time and uh it was not just illegal but it, a doctor uh, it, it, a prison sentence if they discovered a woman had an abortion you could be uh you could have jail time so could the doctor and so could anybody that enabled you to get this so it was harsh sentence back then so uh, this is her journey it's not everybody's journey it's not meant to make a statement but uh it obviously now with the political climate that we have Mm -hmm. will and in fact in france this year in february they expanded how many weeks and they also uh approved some medication that is less in, invasive than the surgery so so france apparently has had these discussions as we are currently in america so they didn't rush this out because of what's happening in the u.s this has been circulating since last november so here it is in st louis and i guarantee you that because of the whole political discourse that this is playing in more theaters starting today yeah interesting okay yeah because it's not just plaza frontenac it's at several of the amcs and marcus okay and uh yeah so that is it's a very well done movie it's very intimate close-up and you know you've seen enough international films they uh are in a more natural setting it's very graphic i have to i mean it is very graphic but this is her experience yeah and the actress is a romanian actress named anna maria of volta oh now i'm gonna screw it up and um i she's fabulous she has one of those faces. They they uh, spend a lot of time on her face. She okay. has one of those very uh, that draw you in. Yeah, like she looks very innocent, but she's a real smart girl studying literature. So, so she lives in the dorm with two other girls and yeah. uh, goes through there. But yeah, back in 1963, women had few options. So this is more about her tail through women's reproductive rights mm, yeah so it's happening and this is uh like you say it's around st louis here and there yeah it's uh, only 90 minutes okay but it's hard to watch like i had to pause it at one time 
like catch my brother because i mean yeah. it's intense it's intense it, okay and so it's not gonna be uh as embraced as uh you will but i think it's gonna be one of those lightning rod things where <laughs> people will use it yeah. for their own political purposes but as you know art comments on things happening in society of course yeah that's what it does and uh yeah art art is the mirror and it's up to us what we will uh uh see in it and do with that yeah let me get this actress's name because she's she's just we have anna maria vartolomai and yeah, okay. uh, i think uh she she has a real bright fit. she did win the caesar for most uh pro uh Oh, what was it? It's a, and it was also at Sundance. But let's see, what did she win? She won the uh, looking up thing. Most promising actress. Most promising actress. Well, she does have one of those faces. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's interesting, but it also is a snapshot of the time. Yes. You know, so I just I prefer not to get into the debate. I know that's maybe a cop out to people, but as a news person, uh, I try to listen to both sides and and sure. uh, uh, you can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and you're not going to just like in politics, you're just it's just right. You know, and I. Yeah, I've I've shot my mouth off politically in the last few years as much as the next guy but uh i'm trying to take a break from that now for you know sanity's sake and um you know as far as this particular issue goes I i'm a dude i i'm not gonna throw myself into that and um you know I, I i the main the best thing i feel i can do is just listen and uh you know take on stories like this as i'm able to so uh uh yeah happening in theaters intense intense You're uh it's one of those and you know we've seen plenty of international movies where they prefer to have a lot of emotion in the silences of course yeah it's one of those uh, yeah kind of like the movie i saw um i don't know when if you want to when we want to get to that sure uh men men yeah, Alex Garland, the director of Ex Machina, and uh, if I'm saying that correctly, and then uh, Annihilation with Natalie Portman several years ago, uh, two very uh, uh, female-centric, in their own way, uh, science fiction movies. This one is no exception, except it's not science fiction. It's in the horror genre. And yeah, again, the title is just Men. And you know, and I, I told my wife, who doesn't track this stuff, I, I said, I'm seeing a horror movie tonight. It is called Men. And, you know, she said, oh, that is this going to be a feminist uh, horror movie? And and uh, I said, well, that would definitely be in keeping. And boy, is it, uh, you know, it's not to, you know, dissuade anyone who hears that as a red flag, because, well, first of all, if you hear that as a red flag, shame on you. Um, but uh, I, I will say um, that that the movie is so well done. It's well crafted. And um, 
you know, yeah, the female lead is Jesse Buckley, who uh, was great in what the last Lost Daughter. Uh, yes, recently. she was yeah. Oscar nominated. Uh, yeah, I yeah. I first saw her in Beast. Right, right. She's in that. Was she was great, and so was Johnny Flynn. And uh, uh, I'm I'm so glad that this 2017 movie Beast is getting more traction because their stars have risen. And uh, I'll talk about him later in another movie. And then uh, she went on to do the Irish singer that wants to be a country singer. Yeah, uh, Wild Rose. Yes. And uh, she's been making slowly, slowly making her presence known. She's been supporting in a lot yeah. of things. But now this is her lead. This is her lead. I don't know how much traction it will give her in the mainstream because this is not a mainstream film. Alex Garland cites as his, uh, the director writer of this film, he, he cites as his influence, like 2001, a space odyssey. And you can feel that here, particularly this choice of music, these weird discordant classical pieces uh, that, that uh, come into the movie. And, and, and it just kind of sets the movie on this weird, uh, kind of headspacey vibe, um, you know, it takes place in this quaint English countryside where Jesse Buckley plays this woman uh, whose uh, abusive husband in the very first scene uh, dies and uh, of a strange death. And, um, you know, so she's looking to get away for a few months. She goes off to this uh, you know, Airbnb type of thing, big luxurious house uh, in the middle of nowhere, uh, woodsy. And, and soon she starts realizing that there are like in the distance, there's these silhouettes, these figures, these male figures watching her. And, uh, you know, the guy, the guy who takes care of the property played by Rory Calhoun, um, boy, what a strange, like, you know, imposing kind of character he is, but, you know, in that, like, he's too nice kind of way, uh, you know, his smile is so big and yet could a, could a smile with this many teeth be this empty? Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's that kind of thing. And, and yeah, anyway, the horror ramps up slowly as Jesse Buckley's character comes to realize no one will believe her. Um, they downplay her fears of being stalked by this man who is in the distance. She starts to see him in more detail. And he is like, like calloused and scarred and buck naked and, and just standing there and it's creepy. And, and, you know, at one point he's trying to get into the house and well, he doesn't, the police just kind of blow it off because well, nothing happened, you know, he didn't get in. So you're okay. You know, and, and they're, they're blowing her off. And this tends to happen in different ways throughout the movie in ways that I've observed um, men being dismissive of women's stories and women's concerns and, you know, throughout my own real life, you know, um, and, you know, where they just kind of blow it off like, oh, well, you know, uh, I mean, there's so much in this. This movie is ripe fodder for women's studies. Uh, and just gender studies um, for the next 30 years, probably for, you know, granted the instructors are okay with very lucid, feverish imagery and nightmarish imagery uh, at some points and just a few violent moments that you will never forget. 
that eventually come in. So wow. well done. So well done. Um, there weren't many people at the screening, but one of the regular attendees of the screening uh, that we see all the time at screenings, at the end, you know, he stood up and just said, you know, when this one thing happened, uh, I, that I think might be the most unpleasant thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it's, uh, it's a corker, it's a corker. And then it gets weirder than that, uh, with aspects of, you know, the tree of life and its dualities with the way of nature versus the way of grace and, and how the male figures might represent this more kind of aggressive nature. Um, not so much the way of grace in this movie, but just, um, you know, it's, it, it, it's not, I said, it's a, you know, feminist thing that, that makes it sound like an angry diatribe. It's, I don't think it's that at all. Um, you know, it's just a rumination on how, uh, Reddit a-holes. Okay. I just said it. Um, these type of, you know, guys that just thrive on their disdain of women, you know, and they, they celebrate the Amber Heard of it all, you know? Right. Um, it's, it's these type of guys, um, that, that, you know, this movie is connecting a dot all the way back to ancient times, uh, and the way that, uh, patriarchy and authoritarianism has been woven and, Toxic and all the, masculinity. Yeah. And there's only a handful of people in this movie. It's very quiet and it gets very strange and it's called men. And it's opening very soon. And I uh, the twentieth in St. Louis, yeah, May twentieth. I recommend it uh, highly enough for people who whose thing this is their cup of tea. Uh, and it, and boy, will it not be everybody's? I don't know if it'll be yours, Lynn. Honestly, I don't. I don't know. Um, you know, I it, liked uh, Annihilation when others did not because okay. I appreciate his style, but also yeah. I was uh, I thought Natalie Portman and Oscar Isaac who is a favorite of his, uh -huh. uh, did really well. And in fact, Oscar was the villain in Ex Machina. Yeah. And uh, we gave the St. Louis film critics gave our best supporting actress that year to Alicia Vikander, mm. but for Ex Machina and uh -huh. not for her Oscar winning Danish girl, which I find. And I pointed that <laughs> out to I pointed that out to A24 that we gave yeah. her our, which I yeah. am proud of that. For the movie that matters in, in the long run and not the movie that's embarrassing already. Yes. Oh, yes. Boy. And yeah. so I think that's good. Just like we we uh, we zig when others zag. So yeah, we try, you know, we just follow. We try to just follow what we do and not, you know, not go with, well, this might be an Oscar nominee. So let's let's pay attention, you know, or whatever. I, I think it's it's good to go down those shoots because, yeah, it does bear out more often than not in the long run. Um, when you just stick to your guns and like what you like. I remember years ago, I was, I, when I was a brand new critic in St. Louis, I went to a press screening of that movie crash. Oh yeah. Know, that, that won the Oscar and you know, crash. Uh, I was like, I don't, I was like, I don't, I don't think this is very good. I think this movie's got some problems, but everybody else, all the established critics that I like knew who they were, but they didn't know me yet. were coming out of this theater going, wow, so good. Oh. And I'm just like, I was afraid to tell the representative what I really thought, you know, because I was like, this is not a good movie. And of course, you know, not to brag, but 
you know, I feel like I've been vindicated by history in this case. It's kind of Crash has become the go-to movie that like in the instance of when something's overly celebrated at the Oscars and they just have, they don't know what to give the award to. So shrug, we'll give it to Crash. You know, it's that kind of thing. Right, right. Well, they don't always get it right. So we know that for sure. Well, I'm intrigued. I happened to miss it last night. And so I was sorry to, but I plan to see it opening weekend. And uh, another movie opening next week, Downton Abbey, uh, A New Era. I, uh, the embargo has lifted. Okay. I do want the review for next week, which I of course will say, but I just want to say, I loved it. The whole movie is full of spoiler alerts, so I'm not going to give anything (laughs) away. So it's going to be very hard to write the review because of that, but it's a lot of so-and-so is very good. And this person also very good, good costumes. Yeah, you know, it's going to be that. like, I can't tell you anything that happens <laughs> yeah, because yes. it'll ruin it for you. Yeah. But um, I enjoyed the first movie so much. And I I have friends who are rabid fans of the PBS series who had mm. tea parties and wore hats and all that stuff. <laughs> I did not. That was a very busy time. So I, and it was Sunday night. Sunday nights is kind of like the HBO night in our household or has been okay all these years so anyway i did not not that i didn't want to but i familiarized myself with the characters and the acting in this the cast is just top notch maggie smith is a hoot uh but i like that what i can say is i liked the two plots uh they go to this villa in france and they have a movie being filmed at Downton Abbey because they need a new roof and uh, their leaky roof will be repaired because the film company is going to spend so much money using their home. So they have these silent movie actors come to their home. Mm. Hugh Dancy's the director. Dominic West is the star of the movie and uh they take over their home and uh it is like a singing in the rain plot whereas talkies are becoming so big that they have to change the movie from being silent to a talkie oh so this is the late 1920s with downton abbey at this point then yes so my wife would watch the show and it's like world war one came up you know yeah yeah and so it's very interesting but i like all the character arcs I can't say any of it, but mm-hmm. that that opens next week, and I think it's going to be a big hit. Now, also opening today, because it's Friday the 13th, I'm one of those that really don't appreciate the number 13, so based yeah. on past history, but I just tolerate it, because if okay. I bring attention to it, then anyway, but... Uh, well, well, yeah, let's, let, what's the movie? It's Firestarter. It's the Stephen King adaptation, uh, his 1980 novel, and it was made into a pretty cheesy movie back in 1984. Drew Barrymore, yeah. Drew Barrymore was the young child who could set fire to things with her mind. Her parents are telepathic, and they were played by David Keith and Heather Locklear nice and George C. scott was one of the villains martin wow. sheen was 
this uh, government operative. Well, so, I didn't realize the cast was this good. Yeah, this was in 1984. Yeah, I never saw that. Yeah, I don't think I did either because I would have remembered it. Well, now they have deemed uh, fit to remake it with Zac Efron now in dad roles. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the young girl is Ryan Kira Armstrong. And if you watch the TV show American Horror Story, she had a, a major role in Double Feature. I don't watch that. And then uh, she was the in the movie about Gloria Steinem, the Glorias, she played the young Gloria Stein. So uh, she's and she was in it chapter two. So okay. that's her thing. And she's an expressive child. Hmm. She's 12 here, whereas yeah. Drew Barrymore was eight. Yeah. So uh, this it's only 90 minutes. It is in theaters today. And it's it's pretty wide because it's in Belleville at the Lincoln and at the edge. And then it's all over St. Louis in the multiplexes. So they're banking on people wanting a horror movie on Friday the 13th. And to me, horror is loose uh, term here. And so I don't think, I mean, it would have been nice if they would have ramped up the horror, but this is a retread and a rehash that's lackluster. It's a Stephen King novel, as you know, they are gigantic. They can be. And they are, oh yeah, unless it's, it's a novella, but yeah. this novel in 1980 was made into, now they're doing a 90 minute version of Stephen King. So they streamline it, but it's still not any better because they leave whole chunks of character development out. And we have this big bad government agency that experimented on people and Zach Efron and his uh, future wife in the movie, Sidney Lemon, were college students that took part in, in these medical experiments and because they're telepathic and they created a child or the government created a child, whatever, uh, to be this baby that has pyrokinetic powers. So we have a lot of fires, as you expect. It's a fire starter. And basically, yeah. it's just, she's just setting off fires. That's, and, that's how it goes. They're running away from the big bad government, this shady operation called the shop. Is this the same shady government that wants to do experiments on everything, like that was chasing Drew Barrymore as a child in ET, because with Peter Coyote? Uh, because it sounds like uh, you know that kind of invasive, you know, we're going to come and take over your house, uh, you know, kind of thing is what comes to mind here. Yeah, they didn't do anything new. I mean, mm. if you're gonna if you're gonna ramp up the horror, maybe or do something, but you know, 1980 mm. was also as uh, Stephen King had done Carrie. Yeah, well, he wrote it, uh, the movie. Are you talking about the movie? Yeah, the- well, both because yeah. well, Carrie was, so it's that same, that same field where they get angry and they set things off. Yeah, yeah, Carrie, uh, I think that was his first uh, book that that he was so the story he tells i mean uh, you know the legend is he threw it in the trash because he was 
so frustrated by it and his wife fished it out and said no uh, there's something here and, and of course that launched his career and he's Stephen King now right so this is Stephen King from the you know 1980 primo yeah. and that's when The Shining came out and and everything so mm -hmm. I just think it's it has nothing new to say uh, I think it's really, uh, even though they put it into the modern times, it's very dated. Yeah. And this, how many times are we going to see these big, bad government agencies? Uh, they don't even tell you why they were doing the experiments or what. And Kurtwood Smith's this retired guy that did the experiments and he goes, well, uh, it was a mistake. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> Like how many movies have we seen where things go horribly awry when they yeah. mess with science? Uh, yeah, thanks, Mary Shelley. Yeah, this is um, this sounds like a really dull, boring movie. And of course, the you know the horror movie that I was talking about previously, Men. Uh, I think I believe it comes out the following week, so it won't be there to counter program this lame horror movie. No, and another one that is out that uh, is on Netflix right now, but also in theaters today, it's at uh, Plaza Frontenac, is called Operation Mincemeat. Yeah. And this is based on a true spy tale mm -hmm. from World War II. And I find it fascinating that we are still mining World War II for... Yeah compelling narratives and here what is this 70 some years later yeah yeah it's so these british naval officers hatched this plot in 1943 and they are played by colin firth and matthew mcfadden who is tom in succession okay so they um decide that they're going to create this deception for the Nazis and so therefore the allied troops can invade Sicily because as you know Italy was under Nazi regime with Mussolini so they take this dead body and they plant papers on it and they submerge it and so they want the Nazis to find it and go from there well apparently this ruse uh, changed the course of World War II oh so yeah. uh so this is a this is a if people like world war ii historical dramas they will love this i am lukewarm on this because they have so many talking heads yeah in the beginning that it's hard to figure out what's going on and it's that british stiff upper lip jazz and it's like hard it was hard for me to get engaged now i will say the third act is is interesting and the plot thickens and i like that but the setup for the first third is just intensive it's labor intensive to figure out who's who what are they doing why is this simon russell beale plays a gruff a winston churchill like is there any other kind of winston churchill and then uh Don't but one was. of the one of the most fun elements of this is johnny flynn plays naval officer ian fleming <laughs> cool yeah yeah just just to work that in yeah, yeah so he's at the typewriter you know and and mm. one of the jokes is that all these guys in the british uh navy want to become spy novelists <laughs> but he throws off this remark 
uh, like he calls his mother M. Oh boy. So I wonder, okay, is there any validity to this connection that Ian Fleming had a, a role to play in Operation Mincemeat in real life? Yeah, uh, he, he it, was like the assistant to this general, not general, but this, uh, well, maybe it was a general. Uh, yeah. it, it was uh, Jason Isaacs plays the, the head guy. Yeah, and, I, I've and heard of this. Ian Fleming is uh, the thing. So yeah, so yeah. in his previous, the, in his previous life, he was an in, naval intelligence officer for yes. the for the Brits. Yeah, that I knew. I just didn't know about this operation being uh, a thing. He was, you know, that it makes sense to have him in this as a character in this movie. Yeah, so yeah. it's interesting. Uh, Kelly McDonald has a really good role. Penelope Wilton, who is a, a fine, delightful character actress. They are the main two women. But one of the things that I did forget, which I think is easy to do, that that in uh, during the time of World War II, there were many other Hitler sympathizers, not just Nazis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that that's a good point. Good point. Yeah, and that brings it up, which is why it was so harrowing. Yeah, because you didn't know who you could trust. Right. And if they if they were onto this plot, or if they got a whiff of this plot, well, then things turn out differently. But yeah. uh, you know that was fascinating. As a drama, it's okay. okay. It's just I thought it was going to be much better given this all star cast it had. Mm-hmm. Well, fire, the original Firestarter had a great cast as well. And I guess nobody's saying that's a masterpiece. And here they are remaking it, Lynn. So, you know, never say never about. Uh, 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 never I know. I don't know why they decided <laughs> that Firestarter needed to be yeah. remade. Oh, well, one, one of the most surprising elements of Firestarter. Oh, going back is John Carpenter did the music. What? To the new one? Yes, with his son Cody. Oh, his mom was, is Adrian Barbeau. He must have been bored, John Carpenter. This must have been at the height of lockdown, and he's staring at the walls, going, uh, I'm John Carpenter. Uh, uh, I'm nearing the end of my life. I, I need to do one last great thing. And then the phone rang. And uh, hey, we got a fire starter remake happening. Perfect. You know, that that's what I think happened. Yeah, well, he was supposed to direct the original one, but uh, this was after uh, the thing flopped oh, at the box yeah, office. Did, so they kind of uh, moved him over, but he did do Christine. Yes, he did. But but he and his son and uh, this this guy who worked on the reboot of Halloween in 2018, I think Donald Davies. Uh, they did the score for this, and the score is actually the best thing about this movie. Well, well, that's something. That's something. So people can uh, maybe look for that soundtrack if it's available in you know by itself, because maybe that's an aspect of this movie worth uh, celebrating. Yeah. That so that was th that's very interesting. I find so streaming is yeah. uh, Operation Mincemeat and Firestarter. But also in theaters, if people choose to do that, mm -hmm. and then we have, I, I uh, reviewed last week, but in this week's Webster Kirkwood Times is Cheryl, the documentary on Cheryl Crow, which I enjoyed thoroughly, but you know, it's from her point of view. So it's going to get knocks for just being 
more of a puff piece, but she does get into uh, being sexually harassed by Michael Jackson's thug manager, Frank DeLeo, who was actually in the movie Goodfellas. (laughs) So she does do that. So it takes a turn there. She's she doesn't spend too much time on Lance Arms, Lance Armstrong or any of those, you know, no mention of uh, other things except she was engaged three times but her parents are in it her her uh, rural roots in Kennett Missouri in the boot heel it's very fascinating and you forget how catchy her hooks are and what she's achieved since her first album Tuesday Night Music Club came out in 1994 yeah 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 well, so that's and, interesting. I didn't know there was this Cheryl Crow documentary. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, streaming on Showtime. Okay. And uh, I expect it to have some legs in terms of like expanding. Mm-hmm. Showtime does a pretty good job with those music documentaries. Yeah, our, our critics group really goes for uh, music documentaries uh, sometimes. So uh, maybe this will be a thing later for us and no one else. <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah. Well, also the 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 uh, the local angle because she was a music teacher in Fenton. Fenton. Yes. I, I didn't know she was that close to. I thought she was like. Well, after she miles. graduated, yeah. After she graduated from Mizzou, yeah, she moved here to St. Louis and uh, taught in Fenton, and she right. played in cover bands. Yes. In bars, that. and she did uh, commercial jingles. Her first one was for Famous Bar. Nice. And then she did this McDonald's commercial that uh, paid her twice her annual salary as a teacher. And that's what made her quit and move to move to uh, St. Louis. I mean, move to L.A. Yeah, I was going to say she Cheryl Crow, I, I always thought that, you know, there's a Missouri connection, but, you know, St. Louis is always quick to claim her uh, because we're quick to claim anybody. It's kind of sad to me sometimes how, how how desperate we are to claim celebrities to the point where it's like, hey, Cheryl Crow's from 100 miles away. Good enough. Give her a star in University City, you know, but it's interesting to hear that maybe uh, she was closer than I realized. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what was so funny was she says that when she moved to LA, the only other big city she'd ever seen was St. Louis. Good Lord. <laughs> so well, she was, but, but she's very candid and forthright in this mm-hmm. and you have to think, and her uh, work ethic is incredible, but the talking heads include Keith Richards. Yeah. Who calls her genuine. Okay. And uh, Laura. Genuine. I know Alara Dern's one of her best friends. So we get her perspective and uh, there's a, you know, there's music people, but also like her, her manager, Scooter Weintraub, who's been her best buddy and stuff. So there's industry people, her family, her parents are a hoot. Her mom was a piano teacher and they both were in a swing band. So she grew up in a music household. Cool. And her musicianship, you forget how many instruments she actually plays. Yeah, yeah. So I saw her in concert years ago. I don't remember much of it. And, you know, just because of time, purely because of time passing. Um, I guess it wasn't a particularly memorable concert, but I did see her. Yay. Yeah, well, Um, Carl talked talked last week about how uh, 
he, he heard her play in a van. Like, I guess she was doing the radio uh, visits. Yeah, yeah. And she just had her guitar and she started playing a song in the van. And he talks about how uh, he's always liked her because she's just, well, genuine. Yeah. We want to put that in. Too but bad yeah, this is not here. He could tell that story. I know. Well, he uh, he did. Well, you know, he did. <laughs> you often review uh dvds and blu-rays that are from another time period <laughs> and i noticed you just did uh francis the talking mule i did not review that um i will be reviewing that uh i i what i did there was um yes i reviewed dvds and blu-rays that are actually from uh now of movies that are from other time periods which i love to do i i love i I'm, I'm enjoying reviewing older, weirder, unknown movies uh, than I am new releases at the moment. That's, you know, the new release thing gets to be kind of a grind. Every now and then you'll get like a movie like Men that'll be like, hey, I got to go to more movies. But, uh, you know, uh, yeah, the Francis the Talking Mule was offered to me uh, to review a seven movie box set uh, by Kino Lorber. And um, this has come out, I think, last week. And, and it, you know, new 2K transfers, audio commentaries on every Francis Talking Mule movie, seven of these movies. And what I did was I, I got this thing and I realized, oh, my gosh, you know, because this isn't the only Blu-ray I have to review. I've got a stack that's waiting to, for my attention. And, um, you know, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, what did I get myself into? So I post a picture saying just that on social media. And I was kind of pleasantly surprised i must say by the reactions to people like yourself and others who had all these warm memories of seeing francis the talking mule pictures as in, in their youth so yeah because that's what was available back then yeah. you know in the the scratchy eight millimeter yeah. you know school gyms like hey we'll throw on right. this for the kids but I think the star Donald O'Connor is so beloved. Yeah, he did six of the seven movies. And then the last one was with Mickey Rooney. Um, I am only two movies into this so far. I've never seen any of these uh, until last week when I started. Um, I started watching them. I, I watched the first one, which is sometimes just referred to as Francis from 1950, where Donald O'Connor meets Francis in the, the jungles of Burma while serving in World War II. And, and it's like, this is a World War II movie that feels like a movie made during World War II, but it wasn't. It's, it, it got made, you know, it was 1950, but it feels every bit like one of those flag waving, you know, we gotta, we gotta fight this war, everybody, you know, kind of movies that came out of Hollywood. And, and here's, you know, the, the casualty count is astonishing. Like, you know, the, the amount of Japanese soldiers that, that they kill as a result of Francis overhearing things and then relaying the information to Donald O'Connor and then Donald O'Connor convincing his superiors that, you know, he knows, well, how do you know? Eventually it's like, well, there's this mule. And then they put him in the, the, the loony bin, you know? And, uh, you know, of course, the, the two movies I've seen so far have the similar ending where, you know, Francis has to step up and reveal that he is, in fact, a talking mule. And and everybody goes, what? A talking mule? You know, son, you're not crazy. 
you know, that's what I was trying to tell you, you know? So anyway, it's, uh, it, they're, they're fun. They're not great. Um, and I'll be watching five more, uh, very soon. And, um, my review will go on my site, zekefilm.org. Um, and, uh, when it's ready in the meantime, I've got plenty of other reviews there. Which is interesting. You do a lot of the Criterion collection, and and I like that you uh, uh, point out these film noir that I've never yeah. heard of. Yeah, it, it's fun to find those uh, film noir. It's an interesting thing. It you know from the nineteen forties and fifties, all about male alienation post war, and uh, it takes many forms. You know, uh, noir really isn't a genre film noir, but it it. Uh, it's this style that's grafted onto things. And, um, you know, we associate that style with certain cliches these days, um, but it goes much deeper than that. And it's really, you know, it's like you can sink your teeth into this stuff. And I think for that reason, the term film noir more so than any other term in classic film is marketable. Uh, when they've slapped film noir on a box set of old black and white movies from that time period, it, it, will sell better, you know, than just saying, you know, classic thriller or whatever, which is a lot of times what they actually are. A lot of the movies I reviewed that they say they're film noir uh, aren't, but in my opinion, really film noir. And that's saying right. something because noir, like I said, casts a wide net as to what in fact can be considered film noir and people can debate this, but I, I uh, have my own, you know, well, I, one of the things that TCM does is every Saturday night they have film noir. Yeah, and uh, I watched the original Nightmare Alley after mm. the uh, Guillermo del Toro one came out. And yes. I hadn't seen the original. And thank God TCM showed it. Yeah. And uh, that was very interesting to see that first. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's great. Um, you know, and, and my gosh, thank, thank goodness for TCM you know, uh, really doing it, still doing it right. Um, and surviving all these corporate, uh, uh, takeovers and, you know, TCM gets caught in the middle of a lot of those, you know, where their umbrella companies get eaten up by another giant corporation or whatever. Right. TCM Time Warner. Has, Warner TCM Media. Has a, yeah. TCM has a way of surviving and, uh, uh, let's hope that they continue to. Oh, I know. I know. Well, I appreciate the work that you do, even if uh, I don't know about you, but the the uh, the I'm having superhero fatigue from like Doctor Strange. And, yeah, I understand. And I, uh, I love I love comics and I even love Marvel movies. But man, uh, the last few uh, before Spider-Man were kind of uh, taking the wind out of my sails. I know. Um, and uh, I, I'm finding that with Dr. Strange, and I said this last week with Carl, I said, they're too much work now because you have to do homework. Yeah. Like for Dr. Yeah. Strange, you really need to see WandaVision on Disney Plus, And you Correct. really need to have seen the Spider-Man 3 yeah. with Tom Holland. And uh, therefore that, I mean, you don't have to, but you're yeah. going to be totally confused. I don't even think you need to see the 2016 movie because I enjoyed it, I remember, but I don't remember a whole lot. But it's just like now yeah. they're all interconnecting these universes, yeah. the multiverse. And so they're having these interconnections with these other characters coming in and out. And it's becoming a lot of homework 
to do. Yes. Yes. And that's why I say in, in my review of Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness that Marvel has gone and done it. They have gone full nerd. And this is what you're describing is, you know, full nerd. Nerds thrive on this sort of thing, like having to do that homework and dig in and make these connections and pull out this obscure thing means this and maybe this character will show up and whatever. And it's real easy to lose the forest for the trees. Um Marvel has done the right thing in that they've, you know, made sure that old timey fans like me are happy enough, but really what they're doing is playing to the mass audiences. And now with all the success they've had 20 plus movies in, we're starting to see them say, you know what, maybe we can take some chances and really, you know, get a little more comic booky which is what's happening. This is, this is the comic booky stuff uh, more so than, you know, you know, the, the uh, first wave of films leading up to the infinity war and everything. It's real easy for anybody to know what's going on. You can skip movies and still understand that, okay, there's these magical rocks. And when you get all of them, you're a super powerful guy that can do anything. So it's important that this guy Thanos, who's really evil, doesn't get them that's the plot. Anyone can understand that. But when it gets into multiverses and variants and time travel and all this stuff, uh, it's asking a lot more of, of mainstream audiences than I, it, it'll be the true test of Marvel's uh, uh, popularity as, as a brand. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Like when the, uh, when they have that uh, panel come on with John Krasinski, well, that's a and, spoiler alert right there. Well, right. And then uh, people, uh, the Marvel fanatics all were laughing, but I didn't know who these people were, or what it meant. And then at the end, the credits ending scene that yeah. reveals an actress. Yes. And that I didn't know what character she was. I didn't was. know who that was. And I've been, like I said, I've been reading Marvel comics since fifth grade. Well, not in the last 10 years, but that doesn't matter. Once someone told me who that character was, I recognized the name and went, oh, yeah, okay. But I didn't know, like, upon sight, there's this meme going around, you know, that that's like a joke saying, you know, because uh, people are starting to feel this fatigue, you know, sitting through 15 minutes of credits just to get to a 10-second scene where a guy you've never seen before walks through a door and says, it's me, Blorco, cut to black. You know, and uh, it's like, what, who's that? You know, that's what I said to my son at Doctor Strange. I was like, I, I don't know who that is, you know? Yeah, well, you know, the, and I just think it's just getting to be, it's too in the weeds Yeah. and uh, for the casual fan. But, you know, it, it's uh, making a zillion dollars. And so, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it, I guess. Well, um, I did notice the MTV, <laughs> MTV movie and TV award nominations came out the other day. I didn't even know they still had this, but apparently they do. Okay. And because uh, it started in 1992, they combined TV with the movies in 2017. Well, and uh, no yeah, surprise, Spider-Man 3, which uh, No Way Home, no Way and Home. Uh, the Batman lead nominations. No Superheroes. Surprise. It's those superheroes. They, they are everywhere. 
you know, when I, when I was that nerdy kid that didn't like Top Gun and loved comic books, I would dream, uh, daydream about what if Marvel Comics, which was my jam, what if Marvel Comics could be like movies? Oh, but they'd cost so much. The visual effects were back then impossible. Uh, you know, but wouldn't it be great? Now, you know what? It would make more sense if it were a TV series. Uh, you know, but then, you know, back then TV was small. And so it's like that does that wouldn't work either because, you know, but that way you could have the ongoing like, and, you know, every 30 days is a new issue of a comic book. Every week is a new episode of television. Uh, and I would dream about, you know, watch, you know, it's like this stuff would be huge if people would just give it a chance, but that'll never, never happen. And now look where we are. Yeah. You know, two, and even, 2008 even I, Iron Man. Careful. Yeah. Be careful what you wish for fifth grade me, you know, because uh, <laughs> boy, did we get it uh, all of it. And uh, like, I haven't finished Moon Knight yet. You know, it's like my kids are like, when are we going to finish Moon Knight? We're three episodes through it. And I have very little desire to continue on. Well, Carl but, really liked it. He finished. Oh, it. did he? Okay. All right. Well, that's good to hear because I've heard negative things elsewhere. And that's just, I don't know. I liked the first one. I was like, this is interesting. Oscar Isaacs, Moon Knight. And I, you know, I never liked Moon Knight comics. I, I, even though I like Marvel, I, I, that was one that never caught my fancy, but it's like, well, maybe it'll be a better show. I'll give it a chance. I really enjoyed the first episode. I was all the more, uh, um, intrigued by the second episode and then the third one i was like what did i just watch i don't understand anything that happened there was a bunch of gobbledygook and we haven't watched it again well i uh only watched the first two and uh i will go back to um to finish it but i just been you know uh yeah. concentrating on other things the reason we have so many shows in may is because the emmy nominations deadline for class uh, for qualifying is may oh. 31st okay okay so that's why all these television shows have dropped this month hacks just started i haven't had time to see that i am enjoying carl has been mocking me i have been enjoying uh the movie about the making of the godfather called the offer i will say the mafia part is very heavy-handed but I am loving all the the back story of the studio, Paramount, Robert Evans. Matthew Good is fabulous as, as Robert, Robert Evans. Evans. Yeah. And then Dan Fogler is really good as Francis Ford Coppola. And they mention the suits. Colin uh, Hanks is a suit that uh, it's going to it's going to cost too much to film in New York. And you should see the look on Coppola's face. Like, holy Jesus. Uh, and uh, he, they're like, well, we could shoot it in Kansas City or St. Louis. And, and he's just looking like steam is going to come out of his ears. And, <laughs> and then uh, he's like, this is a very specific time. Well, we can update it. Michael can be coming home from Vietnam. That'll work. And then the look, <laughs> the look on his face. And then they don't want to cast Pacino because nobody knows who he is and blah, blah, blah. And so I am loving this because it's in the eyes of Albert Ruddy, one of the producers who's played very well by Miles Teller. And so I am enjoying all that backstage Hollywood stuff. And the women are actually really good in this. Juno Temple is Evans's, uh, or not Evans, Ruddy's assistant. 
There's a mm. casting director who's a woman. They're asserting their power in Hollywood at a time where it's really sexist. The casting couch was very much a thing. Yeah. This is the you know late 60s, early 70s. And, and so to me, it's, it's really fun, but it's 10 parts. And Carl says he's heard that it's, uh, you know, it's over long. Well, I'll get to that point. But right now, I am totally enjoying it. We have dueling serial, we have not serial killers, but we have dueling murder stories right now. We have Candy that is on Hulu. And it's been an every night event this week, a new episode. And it is about the true life murder of a woman, of a housewife. Well, she was a teacher uh, named I, to Betty in, in a small town in Texas and her a friend Candy was accused of her murder and there's a child and it's uh, written and directed by uh, I mean people I mean they've done a lot of ethnic because it takes place in 1980 but Jessica Beale is Candy and the great Melanie Linsky is Betty. And the husbands are played by Pablo Schreiber and the dude from Veep that was a tool, Tim, Tim Simmons, Timothy he, Simmons. He was a tool. <laughs> yeah. And okay. so that, that it, but it's very 1980. It's very, you know, church going people, neighborhood, they're, you know, okay. the kids are going to Bible school They're, You know, the wives are all talking about watching Dallas and yeah, and uh, reading romance novels and getting notions in their heads and oh stuff. Boy. So I just found out that there's going to be another one of this, but done by David E. Kelly. Oh, on the HBO, same, the same series or the different the same topic of- about this murder, the same murder. And, and it's going to be same. on HBO later this year. Oh, boy. Wow. And Jesse Plemons plays one of the husbands. So is this the the one you just talked about? Is that is that the deep impact to the David E. Kelly versions, Armageddon or what have you? I you guess. Know? I like didn't even know there were, there were dueling, two... dueling murder stories. But, you know, people eat up this true crime. Oh, they sure do. They sure uh, do, do you have X? fx because that's that andrew garfield one under the banner of heaven i haven't i haven't even started that yet too many blu-rays lynn i don't don't have time to watch all these shows i can't even finish moon night that's six episodes and uh you know lack of motivation isn't helping in that case but you know even with shows i like i i do have a hard time and i'm glad i don't uh consider television my beat I couldn't, uh, I reg- I did not volunteer. Well, you know, you can pick for Critics' Choice Association, mm. film or TV. I did not put TV because I know there's no way I can get to everything. I don't know how people can. No. I don't know how people cover this. I don't either. It's so uh, is there much. any movie that you are looking forward to this summer? Oh, heck. Uh, name a few. I don't know what's coming out. Um, oh, Jurassic World Dominion. Yeah. I know. Maybe. I'll, I'll, I'll go to the screening if I, I, I can't say I'm excited. Um, well, what, Jeff uh, Goldblum, yeah. Sam Neill and yeah, uh, Laura no. Dern are back. Yeah, that's their big their big uh, swing for the fences. Um, I don't understand why anybody keeps going to this island. I, that's a good point. <laughs> that's a good point. You, you know, know, it's like 
people. Yeah. Uh, Rampaging yeah, uh, dinosaurs. And Bryce Bryce Howard uh, running around in heels. Well, that was the, the first. I You know what? I never watched the fifth one of these. I never watched the 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 one uh what was that called jurassic world something i forgot but uh, i i caught it on uh i caught it on tv and oh it's bad yeah i never i i have that here on disc i i did pick that up a while ago it's sitting there waiting for me to get to it at some point whenever i darn well feel like it and have the time and remember to do it which none of those things ever seem to happen so i don't know uh, maybe the, uh, if I am able to go see this, this third Jurassic world, six Jurassic movie, I will, uh, break that out of the plastic and watch that and then go see the, the final, whatever this is. I know. I just think we're over it. So I am looking forward to Elvis, the Boz Lerman. Oh, that, that Tom Hanks was making when he got COVID. Yes, and it comes out June 23rd, 4th, June 24th, and I think the world is going to know who Austin Butler is after this. He plays the young Elvis, and Tom Hanks plays Colonel Parker. Yeah, and I I will know who Austin Butler is then as well, because, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Baz Luhrmann making a movie about Elvis is very intriguing. Um, I haven't loved every Baz Luhrmann movie, but... uh, boy back in the day he sure won me over with like his you know moulin rouge and strictly ballroom strictly ballroom those are the two best ones i think um uh, i could take or leave that romeo and juliet at the time although i have to give it props for being you know just so unrelentingly stylish and singular vision but uh, yeah looking back it's aged it's aged well for its time as a piece as a uh, cultural I guess icon for the yeah. young folk for the young folk. I personally loved The Great Gatsby. I know a lot of people didn't, yeah. but uh, I watched it again uh, last year and uh, just was yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah no, I think this is going to be really interesting. Other than that, I've kind of avoided looking into what's ahead mm. because um, oh nope, Jordan Peele's latest. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, uh, fine. Yes. I, I didn't like us, but I did like get out a lot. Um, so, okay. We'll, we'll give this one a chance. We'll see. So nope. we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I think, uh, it's interesting that, uh, I'm going to have to do a summer movie preview. So I'm going to have to do a deep dive yeah. into it, but Is I always another, find <laughs> what's the Marvel movie uh thor is it thor yes thor okay all right with natalie portman yeah i'll I'll see that yeah yeah yeah. so that's the big marvel movie and blockbuster and we'll see Mm -hmm. we'll see from there what what's going to happen but summer is usually uh you should get excited about some movies but i find the the ones that like the hangover started off the summer of 2009 when we didn't uh, there was the breakout and we didn't have any expectations for that no and then uh the wolf pack and then we had uh 500 days of summer which is one of my all-time favorite movies of the summer so i like the great film 
gems. I like the hidden gems that we discover in the summer when all this other stuff, because like, remember when Baywatch came out, they'll start the summer blockbuster season. And yeah. that was such a dud. Who cares? And, yeah. and then and it's just to me a lot of these blockbusters are such pandering and hot air and yep. uh yep. you know i just get so tired by july yeah of things blowing up and chunks of concrete flying like alex garland where are you <laughs> yeah that's um boy no, I, I hear you. I, I get I get blockbuster fatigue most like halfway through July. Although as I get older, it seems to happen sooner with fewer movies. So uh, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I like I, I'm having a hard time getting excited about much of this, although the Elvis, uh, I didn't realize that was coming out so soon. Um, and, uh, you know, it used to be a Pixar movie in the summer and now all that's on TV. Um, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Chip yeah. and Dale Rescue Rangers is out next week on Disney Plus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I know. Maybe. So we'll we'll see what happens, but uh we'll we'll be doing a, a preview down the road theater. We have Jitney at the Black Rep tonight. Uh Joe, we had Ron Himes last week as our guest. Uh the August Wilson Pittsburgh cycle, uh the Black Rep uh, props to them for uh, carrying on uh, uh, the introducing August Wilson to a new generation. And uh, then wow. Joe Hanrahan's UFO play Anomalous Experience continues. This is the final weekend for Hamilton at the Ooh. Fox. Okay. okay. And uh, so we're, we're moving on from there. And then at the Enterprise Center, it's the 80s and 90s all over again because it's new kids on the block the mixtape tour and then it has as their guests salt and peppa rick astley and in mm -hmm. vogue yeah and i think when you when i hear these acts listed off at this concert um it is in order of like reverse appeal to me because like in vogue is the one that i would most care about uh, that I, you know, the most interest in, although I don't know what they're like these days. I, I assume they still got it. Um, I, I really, I, I really dug in Vogue back in the day. There, that's a, a great, uh, a great, great group. And then, you know, Rick Astley, I don't know. That's a, that's a novelty, isn't it? Uh, yes, but I, lo I love, the, I love the Rick roll and the song and, and yeah. uh, what Max introduced me to rick astley singing the foo fighters yeah yeah that did happen i know uh and Dave, Dave i Bull was brought... blown away yeah yeah that's that's good that uh the guy's got some more range than you know <laughs> anyway but, i don't yeah. know i i the other day i was driving the kids to school and they were giving away tickets to the mixtape tour of new kids on the block and all those bands you just said and and they asked a trivia question that nobody knew because it was like what is the next lyric in this rick astley song and it wasn't uh never going to give you up it was you know together forever which doesn't you know isn't so popular because it's not the meme you know um and 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 i was like oh i, I know that lyric but I, I'm not calling in to answer this because then I would win tickets to this thing. <laughs> and, and I don't, I don't want to go. So that was... 
Well, this weekend, uh, you can go to Art on the Square in Belleville, and mm-hmm. I'm going to the Founders Day in O'Fallon, Illinois, because it's going to be really fun. And they had this most quaint, beautiful downtown district. And uh, we've got just, we've got Fan Expo, and people can go outdoors to all the farmers markets. And okay. are you doing anything special this weekend? Well, I know people can't see us on zoom but we are recording this using zoom and you can you know where i am right now i'm recording from my bedroom and this is probably where i'll be um i don't know that i'll be going anywhere my, my daughter said uh you know she likes to go to thrift stores and said her favorite thrift store is having 50 percent off so she, I, I think i'll be driving her to that um other than that you know fan expo that's the kind of thing where it sneaks up on me every single time. And uh, I know it's been a while since they've done it, but every single time I'm like, oh, I should have just applied for press credentials. And, and then I could have just got in and I wouldn't have to pay to go. Um, and, but then it's like, oh, but then I'd have to write it up and eh, forget it. You know, it's not really what I do at my site. I don't, you know, it'd just be a, you know, a reason to free tickets to this thing and you know getting autographs and pictures and rubbing elbows for five seconds with these genre stars doesn't excite me i i don't know I, you know if it were somebody from like buffy the vampire slayer like you you'd mentioned off the air that you had talked to james marsters uh, from buffy maybe then i would be like oh I'd love to just be in his presence for five seconds and pay $50 to do so. But that said, I don't know that I'd pay the $50. It's a lot of money, you know? It is. I had a friend who paid $75 to get a photo and autograph of Jason Momoa uh, in the before times. I, this is my only wizard world experience is 2003 in Chicago. And this is, has to do with my dad was in the, the, the pre-press uh, printing industry at the time and had dealings with people at Dark Horse Comics or whatever. And they said, you know, meet us at the Wizard World in Chicago. So it, he had to go. And I figured I'll go, I'll tag along and show him around. So I was dragging my dad around to this thing. Again, 2003 and back then autographs and photo ops were $20, not 75 or 50 or hundred or whatever it is. Um, and I didn't have $20 to drop on a single autograph, but I would go over and see like Nichelle Nichols from Star Trek, you know, Uhura, just sitting there by herself and looking bored out of her skull. And I would go up and chat with her and eventually ask, can I get a photo, a selfie with us both? And, and she's like, hmm. Uh, $20, you know, and I, I don't have it. I'm sorry. You know? And she said, all right. So that's how I did it. I, I sweet talked my way uh, into this sort of junk back then, just because, you know, they were, they looked bored if they, I wouldn't wait in line and do that. But in fact, I wouldn't do that at all anymore. But I did, uh, I did sweet talk my way uh, into a lot of free photos I caught Peter Mayhew, who played Chewbacca, uh, on the way out of the uh, walking back from his table from the snack bar or something, and he was as cool as could be. Uh, got a picture, you know. I don't know where any of these pictures are. No, that was before I, uh, it was digital. I know. In the, 
I just don't have that that instinct to uh, um, get autographs. But no. I do I do like getting pictures taken. But yeah. usually, but I'm not going to pay for it. But exactly. uh, I, you know, as as I try to be like, well, I'm a entertainment critic, so therefore sure. I'm not going to, you know, do this. When yeah. Jeff Daniels came out the the stage door for after To Kill a Mockingbird because. Um, my son and his now wife and uh, a family friend, we were waiting for this guy that was in the cast that had gotten us the house seats <laughs> when it was totally sold out. Cool. And so I said, well, hey, we'll meet you at the stage door to give you a proper thanks, you know, and stuff. Anyway, Jeff Daniels walked right out and it was had been raining and there were hardly anybody there yeah. waiting for him. And we were like, why not? So we went up with our programs. Yeah, what the heck? And it was like, and he was so cordial because I said, hey, we're from St. Louis. And Mm -hmm. uh, we had a little engaged there, you know, but that was really fun. But people are really impressed that I got his autograph. And I'm just like, you know, it was one of those spur of the moment. Let's go with it. Yeah, very quickly. And yeah, I I think there's no harm in that. And I, I love to get a, a, a selfie with somebody, you know, particularly like I, I've got a picture of me with Ray Harryhausen, you know, this, the special effects guy uh, passed away in 2013, but my picture of him was from when he was in St. Louis a few years prior to that. And boy, I'm glad I have that, you know? Um, yeah. Well, your daughter took that great shot of Timothy Chalamet when we were both at the beautiful I, I, boy I event. Oh, no, you I took that. Yeah, that my my nieces were in the fray there, but I I got that picture of him, and uh, that was weird. Well, um, that was such a bizarre thing because that's when his star was really yeah, ramping up, yeah. and I was almost trampled. Yes, by me the too. females. I, yeah, I was in there too, and I I was like, oh no, I brought my nieces out to be killed, you know, by the by the mob in the alley behind High Point, you know. Um, you did a fantastic job of hosting that day, um, but Thank then you. you know, I, I, you know, they were taking them outside, and I, I had my nieces there who were big fans at the time. They were teenagers, and I, I was like, like, girls, come on, you know. And they're like, what, what? And I was like, just, just follow me, you know. And we ran outside, and all of a sudden, they're getting like they're caught up in this thing, this trampling herd of fans, and uh, they did see him in the herd. Yeah, I um, always regret that I didn't get a picture beforehand, but it was so nervous. Yeah. Tense wrecking, like, like in the green room, you know, we were waiting and he was getting his makeup on and, mm. and I chatted with him just briefly and yeah. he was very nice and polite. Yeah. And then when we were walking into the high point, I turned back to him and I said, is there anything off limits? And he said, I just want to stick to this movie. Okay. And so Makes I said, sense. fine. So that's why I said, hey, we're not talking about. um, He brought up Little Women. Yeah, I remember that because he He, was. Yeah, right. Because he was filming it at the time. Yeah, he was really tired because they had been in Minnesota and they were on their way somewhere else. I mean, Mm. they were making this three day thing and you could tell he was he was at the end of his like. Yeah. um, Whirlwind. Yeah, which I can't even imagine that kind of life. And then now I'm sure he's way more protected. Oh, probably. Like they all are. Once, once when they're like the little, like on the way up, it's such different access than 
when they reach a certain mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. tier yeah level yeah, no I, I think so yeah well hey it was great to have you on we uh-huh. certainly chatted up a lot of things <laughs> yeah i think we covered some good ground here lynn and uh listeners are going to be very pleased uh and if they're not well you know see me for a refund <laughs> thank you hey have a good weekend let's go blues carl we uh, miss you and we'll talk to you soon